Welcome to the O Shift for Teens podcast, a show where I team up with a thought leader and we discuss a new topic question that will help you better understand your teens. I'm your host, Mark Tucker, co-author of O Shift for Teens and its accompanying workshop kit and curriculum. This super easy to facilitate, life-changing material is being used by folks just like you throughout the United States and beyond. Head to OShift.com and choose one of the many ways you can become involved in this worldwide movement. Well, hello to all of you again. I hope you are having a wonderful year and that you are healthy and happy raising your teens. Um, Today, I have a special guest from Missouri, uh, Joyce Sweeney, who will be talking to me again about uh, the topic of teens with addictions. And uh, we had a really nice conversation just a little while ago. If you have a conference or event that you want to have a dynamic uh, youth speaker come out to talk to your kids, well, we've got you covered. Uh, Keith Sensor out of New York is our top facilitator, and he uses the OSHA for Teens program to inspire, engage, and uh, excite your kids. Let me know if you want uh, Keith to come out to your next event, and you can uh, email me at mark at oshift.com. And, of course, we're busy these days. Uh, Jen Powers, of course, is speaking all over the country, uh, giving her O-Shift keynote and message to audiences everywhere. So it's kind of a busy time for us, but um, we love to fill up the spring with uh, speaking gigs, and we'll be traveling again all over the country. So if that's something you're interested in, uh, again, email me at mark at oshift.com. Let's get right to the interview that that I had just a bit ago with Joy Sweeney. My guest today is Joy Sweeney. Joy Sweeney is a former school board member and small business owner and is currently the executive director of the Council for Drug-Free Youth. She's worked closely with community partners in Missouri and across the country in that capacity for the past eight years. Joy is a mentor in the JC Mentoring Program and is involved in many aspects of the community. She dedicates countless hours to improving lifestyles and communities throughout the state. Joy Sweeney, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here, Mark. Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you. So, um, so you're out now. Where are you at? Oh, I'm actually in Jefferson City, Missouri. Right in the center of the country. Exactly. Right in the center of the country, right in the center of the state of Missouri. Uh, yes, almost exactly. I think if you try and put a bullseye in the state and the nation you'd hit us <laughs> <laughs> very good well i'm excited to talk to you now um well, i had one of your cohorts um on the show recently and we talked about uh drugs and alcohol and i know that this is a a topic that's very uh, that you're very passionate about and i felt like well it might be nice to to kind of follow that up with a conversation with you now i sent you a, a list of topics um the one that you chose was how do we help teens with addictions? How do we help teens with addictions? When when we bring up that topic, what's sort of the first thing that comes to mind for you? Well, you know, I wish I had the answer, the tell-all, be-all, because I'm a very wealthy woman. Um, but uh, basically the first thing, my biggest thing is um, clue, you know, communication, love, understanding, and education. So I, of course, have to have an acronym for it, you know, because... Yeah, I like it. What, now, say, say that again. What is clue again? Clue is communication, love, understanding, and education. To me, if we as parents have a clue, <laughs> we'll remember those four words and how important they are um, in helping 
teens with addictions of all kinds, you know, um, not just drugs, um, food addictions, Internet addictions, you know, video game addictions, uh, you know, they're in an age where their brains are developing, and so it's uh, inherent for them to just kind of gravitate towards something that they like or they do well, get sucked in by it. I, I don't know what other way to say it, you know, and they can yeah. get and, and I think I could say that, that most humans were, were subject to certain types of addictions. I mean, I, and, and they're not all like terrible, um, but it's, it might be a kind of a human nature. So teens are beginning to experience ones that may be more potentially devastating to them. Now, the first, the first le- uh, letter C, you said communication. How does that play into helping teens? Well, healthy communication plays into helping teens exponentially um, because not only does it allow them to feel empowered like they're being listened to and that they're becoming adults and becoming respected by their parents or respected by their adult role models, it also um, enables them to learn how to communicate in a healthy way. And if they're taught unhealthy communication patterns, then that's how they behave. Obviously, they model the behaviors that, they are, that are modeled for them. So if adults are yelling and screaming around them all the time, that's what they're going to do. And if adults listen to them, um, respect them in the conversation, give them a voice, then they will be more respectful in return. Okay, and, and that, that, that makes a lot of sense. When, when, when you say communication, you know, it occurs to me that when it comes to things that we can be addicted to, whether it's drugs and alcohol and, uh, I don't know, sex, um, a lot of times uh, adults, we're sort of afraid to talk to our kids about them. It's almost like yeah. if we do, it, it, it's going to make it real or something. And exactly right. That's exactly right because, you know, a lot of times, especially with younger kiddos, um, parents will be like, well, I don't want to bring it up because I don't want them to start thinking about it. And I'm thinking, no, <laughs> that is absolutely the worst thing you could do because they're already starting think, to think about it. And it's already in our society. It's already out there. So you might as well be their go-to source. And if they don't feel comfortable talking to you about it, they're going to find other resources, and they might not be the best solution for them or right. for you. Um, and, and I always say to the kiddos, when, to the students, when we're, we're having these conversations is, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And a lot of times we as parents need to recognize that we need to listen twice as much as we're talking. <laughs> so sometimes yeah. we'll pick up on those subtle clues and those pieces of the conversation that we're too busy thinking about the next thing that we're going to say to them right. to listen to. And that's what we really have to be cognizant of. So as, so as adults, we need to listen more. And what, what, what kinds of things are we listening for? A lot of times children will say things kind of under their breath. Whenever you listen to comedians, they'll say, oh, da-da-da-da-da, and, and then, oh, but da da You know, and the little part that falls off at the end of the sentence is really yeah. what they're trying to say. And that's the <laughs> right. punchline of the comics, too. <laughs> But that's really what your kiddos are trying to say. So listen to those little pieces that fall off at the end of the sentence. I don't know how to describe it any better than that because it's 
sometimes, you know, different children have different ways of communicating, but typically it's the things that they're reticent to tell you that are the things that you most need to hear. Yeah, you know, what occurs to me, Joy, is that it's it's a tough role sometimes to be in as a parent because you see, or or somebody who's working with teens. Yeah, we we feel like we're in this role of being teacher, like oh, I've got to teach you lessons, and so I've, I've listened to you. Now let me give you a lesson that you're supposed to learn from. And is is that a mistake? Do you feel like the, that's a mistake that we're making, and the kids begin to roll their eyes and start to tune us out? Well, sometimes it it almost feels to them like we're being condescending or that we're marginalizing what they have to say. And so, yeah, I think that they do kind of roll their eyes, tune us out. I'm not sure exactly. You know, again, every child is unique. Every child is different. So you can't say, you know, this is always going to be the case, and that's not certainly not what I'm saying. But sometimes... It really, you could go so much further. I mean, just think of from your own personal experiences the times you've had to teach how much you've learned from teaching. And if you allow your children to do that, if you allow your children the opportunity to teach you what it's like to be a teen in our society today, they will learn from that experience. I, I've never thought of that before. That is, that's a really insightful uh, way to look at things. Because yeah, I was a teacher for 12 years, and I think I learned more than anybody else. And so, we're afraid as maybe adults that to to like you said, listen, and instead of being you know blathering all the time, feeling like we've got to get our message in when we get a chance. But what you're right. suggesting is that when you open your ears, let them talk. They can kind of sort it out and and, and learn that you're somebody who who isn't going to past judgment exactly exactly and and you know again the communication is a huge component of it but of course it has to be done with love you know and that love piece and that unconditional love you know because sometimes then there's going to be things that they've had communication you've communicated for years and now here they are 15 or 16 and they're in the car with their friend and and their friends are doing things that they know that you've communicated that you don't approve of they know that they're wrong and now how do they come back and have that conversation with you when they already had countless conversations with you because you started having these discussions when they were 9 or 10 years old um, or even prior to that when they were in preschool. So they knew where you stood and they know what they should and shouldn't be doing, yet here they were last night doing something that they knew darn good and well that they weren't supposed to be doing. That open, loving, unconditional love has to be conveyed with all of your conversations so that even when they go or they do things they know they're not supposed to be doing or going to places they're not supposed to be, they know that they can come back and you will listen with that same unconditional love and that same level of communication. And, yes, you want to yell and scream, and, yes, you are... (laughs) threatened and furious and and all the other things but if you ever want them to continue talking to you you have to make sure that you are listening it, you know it's it's a it's a really interesting point that you make because we, what you're talking about is 
sort of setting your intention. You know, if I, if my, if my outline of what my kids should be doing and shouldn't be doing is, is based on just I'm in charge and these are the rules. Um, it doesn't necessarily infuse love, but what if the intention is based on what's really best for the kids and you can have that conversation in that, in that sense. And so like when I talk to my boys, you know, it's like, listen, here's what drugs and alcohol do. You know, these are the effects that they have. And this is, um, you know, the addictive qualities of them and what they do to your brain. And, you know, in, inevitably, you're going to make choices for yourself. And I love you no matter what. And whatever you do, you can always turn to me. However, I want you to have the information about it. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't exclude consequences from happening as well. You know, that if you choose to go down that road, well, that shows me that you're not maybe making the best decisions. And so we have to look at some of the freedoms that you have and, you know, make some changes. But the bottom line of this is about me loving you, me being the parent of you and uh, being the one in charge of you and wanting you to, to live a happy, healthy life. Yeah, but and you're you are in charge of them to a certain degree. You're not always going to be there with them. They're going to have you know the little angel on one side and the devil on the other, you know, with many faces. But you're not always going to be there. So then you are saying, I'm empowering you to do what you know is right because you are ultimately in charge of you, and you're going to do that what's what's right and what you know is right. Because you are my child and because you love me enough to respect me enough as your parent to do what the, what, do the right thing. The young people that we talk to come back and say, I wouldn't want to hurt my parent that way or I wouldn't right. do that because I know it would devastate my mom or my dad or, or my grandma. You know, I would never do that because I promised them I wouldn't. You know, and, and more and more our kiddos that are having these conversations with parents are saying to us, yeah, that's what kept me drug and alcohol free till I graduated from high school is that I made a promise to my parents when I was in ninth grade or when I was in fifth grade or when I was whenever I did, whenever we sat down and had this conversation, I promised them that I wouldn't make those choices and that when I – those." opportunities or those challenges were presented to me, I would either call them or walk away or drive away or um, find a way out of that situation. You know, Joey, when you were talking, um, you know, one of the things that occurred to me is that when we hold kids to a high standard, they often rise to it. When we sort of, and a lot of times adults, we don't do that. We, especially with teens, as we sort of have this low standard, low expectation, we'll even say comments like, oh, teens, you know, it's kind of like exasperated. They're just waiting to make stupid decisions. But I, I think that's a mistake. I think that when you hold teens uh, to a high standard that they, well, to whatever standard you hold them to, they'll sort of reach that standard. And I'll never forget, yeah, I'll never forget um, when I was teaching high school early on, uh, a uh, student sort of talking to uh, my mentor about me as a teacher, and, and she said something uh, that really stuck for me because he, of course, told me. She, he, she said, you know, Tucker is tough, but he's fair. And kids can make that distinction, and I love that because there's, you know, I see no downside to that. I want to be tough, but I want to be fair. You know, I don't want to be so tough that I'm drowning these kids. But I think that kids can recognize that 
parents that hold them to a high standard are showing trust in them, showing that them that they have confidence in them, and the kids invariable, invariably will have confidence in themselves and shoot for that standard. It's, it, it's something that I think a lot of adults don't realize uh, how important it is for a kid's development and confidence to hold them to a high standard and to trust that they can that they can get there. Not that they will always get there, and not that. You know, they won't fail sometimes, but if we don't hold them to a high standard, what, what's, the, what's the finish line for them? Right. If you set the bar so low that they knock it off, then, they, you know, where are they going to go? You know, yeah. whereas if you hold them to that higher standard, then they will strive to accomplish those goals and objectives in their lives, and they will see why they're important, and they will understand why they need to get there, too, because... You know, you've communicated the values that you have. You've done it in a loving way. You've listened to them and let them be the teacher so that they can learn through teaching and then demonstrating that understanding that, wow, I'm getting this and you're getting it, and you both have this mutual understanding that raises everything to a whole new level. I like that. So now we've gone down that road a little bit. Now our topic is how do we help teens with addictions. And so I, and I know that a lot of the parents that are listening to the show or that are working with teens have teens that have already made some what I would consider bad decisions. I mean, they, they may have be facing addictions already. And so let's move the conversation to that. How do we help these folks help those kids that have fallen into some bad patterns? Well, and, you know, that that's absolutely perfect transition into, of course, obviously, you know, many of them have had the education and, the, and all the things through the school programs, and, and I've talked to people that have been addicted or, you know, been involved with various um, school programs and said, yeah, well, I kind of just rolled my eyes and I didn't pay attention or this or that or the other thing. And so what you really need to do. I mean, yes, all these things are are great to help them get get them back because you need to let them know that you're not going to just leave them. You know what I mean? You're yeah. not going to just allow them to head down this path. Addiction is a disease of the brain. Your brain has been rewired to think you need this drug and you cannot live without it. And so treatment is out there for a reason. And treatment is something that is a family thing. You can't just put one person in treatment. The whole family has to be in treatment. And that is not always easy for the adults in the house. And that's another problem that we often run into when you go into treatment. You probably should talk to a treatment professional on this, but I do think that if you address the situation with communication, love, understanding, and education, you yourself will grow as a human being and your child will benefit significantly. Let me back up just a little bit. For my listeners, how do you how do you go about getting treatment? I mean, a lot of people are probably clueless, so they're, they're facing the situation. What's, what might be a first step? Is it the school system? Where are they going to, to yeah, get help? I mean, I mean, our programs are typically done in conjunction with the schools because that's where the kiddos spend the most time. I mean, our, yeah. our children are in school all day long. 
and they spend the most time at that school. And so a lot of times the schools have a, a first. But if you think your child is using a substance, get them an assessment. There's counselors. You can call a local counselor, and if you have health insurance, you can get it that way. If you don't have health insurance, there's all kinds of different programs where they'll fund the assessment, and the assessment is, you know, next to nothing. Maybe it's like a copay of fifteen, twenty dollars. It's worth right. every penny. If there's, if you can't figure out a, a counselor that will do it um, for a reasonable fee, then call a local drug-free program or treatment program and ask them what other resources in the area. There's resources all over this country where they want to help. I mean, basically, overdose deaths are surpassing all other diseases in our country. They are the fastest rising cause of death in this nation. And it's not excluding any group, but it's certainly highest among youth. And so we're trying to put resources, the Department of Mental Health and Behavioral Health and uh, all these places, different state agencies, government agencies across the country are trying to put resources in place so that we can try and nip this in the bud, but the bud in a lot of places, it's already further down. You know, the seed's already been planted right. in the ground. And so we need to do a little bit more, and we realize that. And so there's resources out there. Call a local counselor. Call a local hospital. Call the school. If you can't think of anything else, call your child's school. You don't have to even say your child's name. Just say, I'm trying to find a resource for a treatment or trying to find a resource where I can take my child to get them an assessment. Am I seeking treatment for my child if I just find out they've tried, they've dabbled? I mean, at what point is, is it a problem? Well, you know what? If they've tried and dabbled, then communication is essential. And right. that's where, you know what, why are they trying? Why are they dabbling? What is it that's causing them to want to go down that path? Before they become addicted, you need to find out the answers to those questions. Perfect. Perfect. Joyce Sweeney, so wonderful to talk to you. I love, uh, I love having conversations like this, and, and you, it's been wonderful to talk to you. How, how do people find out more about what you have going on there in the middle of the country? Well, um, they certainly can call us at... Uh, Five seven three six three six twenty four eleven, or we have a website. It's uh, www.jccdfy.org, um, and we have a Facebook page, Council for Drug Free Youth. Um, we're on Facebook, of course, just like everybody else. I think we have an Instagram and Twitter account. I don't know. Perfect. <laughs> I'm not, obviously, I am not the, <laughs> the functional head of either of those. I, I really appreciate you sharing resources. I'm all, yeah, as you know, I'm all about sharing resources and sharing ideas. I, I look forward to uh, having my uh, listeners be able to reach out to you, Joy. And again, thank you so much for being on the show, and I look forward to seeing your work in the future. Well, I truly appreciate the opportunity, and I, I, I enjoyed chatting with you immensely. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> you bet. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. That, of course, was Joy Sweeney out of Missouri um, talking about Clue, communication, love, understanding, and education. And I bet Joy would agree that that's probably a formula that works uh, for more than just helping 
teens with addictions, but just helps uh, you in raising teens that are uh, balanced and happy. So nice of you to join me again this week. Hey, listen, if you've thought about becoming a facilitator of those Shift for Teens workshop kit, well, now is the time. We make it super affordable and super easy to facilitate. You can look like a master facilitator, even if you're not quite there yet uh, with this powerful material, because we design it so it's simple to facilitate so that you can lead powerful discussions with the teens that you work with. So let me know if that's something you're interested in. You can head straight to the website, oshift.com. You can even download a free copy of Jen's best-selling book there, and you can tell your friends and neighbors and loved ones and people you like and people you don't like, and maybe you'll start liking them. Thanks again for joining me this week. We will see you real soon. Until then, uh, have a great week.